0: Go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Law and Gospel Wednesday, November the 18th, in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and what we do on Wednesdays right now is we're going through Walther's, CFW Walther's lectures to seminarians for over a year, and we're going by evening lectures this is the 31st evening lecture, and it occurred on June the 12th, 1885. And he always has a little introduction before he gets to the thesis. It'll be thesis number 19 that we're going to be taking a look at. So let's look at the introduction. He says that two of the biggest problems with which humans wrestle. Number one, sin exists. Where did it come from? How did it originate? Serious philosophers, he says, of pagan antiquity were uninformed of the fact that in the beginning, God had created man perfectly good in his image and they were not able to discover the awful character of sin and its origin then. In fact, their reason began to say that sin was either an inborn weakness. Others claimed that there was a twofold principle, one good and the other evil. We also find that among Christendom, Walter points out that there was an idea that sin, particularly by the rationalists who always use reason rather than the Bible, and they said that man is naturally good and becomes evil and sinful when influenced by evil examples, wrong teaching, etc. I remember talking about the tabula rasa, which just means a blank slate, like a blackboard in a teacher's room. It's blank, and then the teacher starts writing things on it to explain to the students what is being taught. And that's how rationalists consider what we're talking about as to how sin occurred. Then you got the pantheists, the atheists, and the materialists. These are people that say sinning is no worse than eating when you're hungry or drinking when you are thirsty. It is merely satisfying a natural craving. And I really believe that's what's happening in the United States of America. You, you hear people talking about a gay marriage, and they're saying, well, look, I was born that way. God made me a homosexual, and therefore I have a natural craving for other people. And that's how they get around the idea that it's not sin. Well, talk about pedophilia. Maybe God had them born that way also. Well there were certain philosophers, probably one of the notorious one, was German philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, and he was unable to grasp that sin might be harmful. In fact he said sin is a transition from the state of barbarism to that of self-conscious teaching. So, the blindness concerning sin, C.F.W. Walther says, is the chief cause of the almost universal rejection of the gospel in our time. That's really an important point. And why is that? Well, it's because of a very simple understanding. If you don't believe that sin is that bad, then you don't need the treatment to sin, which is the gospel promises of the benefits of what Christ won for us on the cross and his resurrection. People who fail to recognize the horrible nature of sin They decline to accept the sacrificial death of the Son of God because they don't need to be reconciled. They don't need to be redeemed. They're like the Pharisees in Jesus' day and many people in our country. They consider his death was completely unnecessary, and therefore the gospel is considered a fable or a myth. One of the most important requirements, therefore, remember, C.F.W. Walther is talking to seminarians. One of the most important requirements of a true gospel-oriented pastor is that he should know how to explain to his listeners the true nature of sin in terms that are as loud and clear as they are terrible, drastic, and relevant. In fact, I received an email from an individual who was really complaining that prior to this election, hardly any pastors or very few of them were writing about the immorality going on in the country and talking about the people you should be voting for are those who are going to be stopping Immorality, like abortion, etc. And not just on the personality. Remember in Romans 13, we're supposed to pay taxes. To who? To Caesar. Caesar was an unbeliever, but he was head of the Roman Empire, and taxes were required. And God said we pay taxes to him. So, without a real knowledge of what an awful thing sin is, a person will neither understand nor receive the gospel. Therefore, the law and gospel is distinguished even less if a person has no true and adequate knowledge of sin. For example, you have real pain in your body and you go to the doctor, and you don't agree with him that you might have cancer, and so you don't take the treatment. It's the unbelief in the doctor's word that you have a serious condition, and that's the point of pastors. We have a serious condition. It's called sin. And this leads to the next thesis, number 19. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you preach about certain sins as if they were not damnable, but only venial. What does that mean? C.F.W. Walter is talking against, of course, the Roman Catholic view of the difference between damnable and venial. Uh, For example, venial sins are really mortal sins that are pardoned by Christ through faith and the means of grace. They are not pardoned because they are considered to be no Big deal. And therefore, this was a problem at the time of the Reformation that Luther spoke out against, and we're going to see some of that pretty soon here. So, when a person fails to make the distinction, he's not rightly distinguishing law and gospel. But the distinction between these two kinds of sin, venial, as well as mortal, needs to be carefully done. Because there are certain sins that expel the Holy Spirit from the believer. And these sins that bring on spiritual death are called mortal sins. So, when this happens to someone... As soon as he sins intentionally and refuses to repent of it, he no longer is able to pray to God like a child. He says, I have become chained to sin. I am now a slave to sin. Good for him if he should have at least this knowledge of his condition. He may yet be brought back to God. But as long as this condition continues... He is not in fellowship with God. And the church has a right, R-I-T-E, given to it called excommunication. We don't excommunicate people because they're doing mortal sins rather than venial sins. No, a person can be excommunicated for any sin if there is unrepentance, because that's what makes it a mortal sin. So, the sins of weakness or rashness, they are sometimes called the daily sins of Christians, and they are forgiven as a Christian talks about how contrite he is and looks to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Both law and gospel must be preached. Walter's talking to the seminarians, and he says, if you don't preach both side by side, you don't deserve to be called an evangelical pastor. Rather, the man would be a false teacher. It would be like just giving the gospel like casting wheat into the ocean, where no crop can be raised. That doesn't help. So the heavenly seed of the gospel can only sprout in a crushed heart. See, that's the purpose of the law, to crush your heart. As uh, Luther explains, We should fear love and trust in God. Why do we fear him? Because he has the right to send us to hell. Anybody who relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's a quote from Jesus in Matthew 5, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, a true Christian is afraid to commit a single sin in contrast to the godless. Unbelievers imagine that they can escape from their crimes. I mean, how many times has a pastor accused someone privately of a particular sin? And they try and defend themselves by saying, well, so-and-so made me do it, etc. I had a um, listener, I don't know if she's still listening, but every now and then she would phone in and she always was angry with me when I talked about infant baptism. And one time I was talking about the necessity of infant baptism and she said that, I was of the devil, and I said to her, you know, you just sinned against me, and she said, no, I didn't. The devil made me do it. A lot of people think that, therefore, if they're not held responsible for sin, they have nothing to worry about. Many people think that thoughts cannot be sin. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church teaches, yeah, you can have evil thoughts, but if you don't act on them, then that is not a sin. But that's not true at all. A lot of uh, unconverted people think, well, look, I'll just make up for my sin, and the whole thing will blow over. But apart from repentance and looking to Jesus for forgiveness— Guess what? The situation never blows over, according to C.F.W. Walther. So true enough, God is love, but he is also holiness and righteousness. For people who rise up against him, boy, take a look at the Old Testament and and look at even in the New Testament, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., God becomes a terrible fire, and his fiery wrath follows these sinners into the depths of hell. So, no sin is venial in itself. What that that means is, it's not that serious a sin. But there are sins that will not prevent a person from still believing in Jesus Christ. With all his heart and and therefore these are maybe sins of temper sins that you don't intended to do and you did, or even an intentional sin over which you quickly repent what makes people Christians is this living knowledge about their need for the gospel. When when Walter talks about living knowledge, he's contrasting that with another kind of faith, namely the dead historical false faith. A lot of people today, they may believe the history of the Bible, but they don't believe the gospel. That's a wrong faith. Living knowledge understands that I'm a miserable, accursed sinner who could be eternally condemned. But then we believe that Jesus Christ, true God, born of the Father in eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and the power of the devil. Therefore, Walter concludes, there is no such thing as a sin that is venial by its nature. Sins are venial only for Christ's sake in the sense that they are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. John 1, 7, 1 John 1, seven, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Therefore, it cleanses us from venial sins as well. And if it does not, through our unbelief, then those sins must in themselves be regarded as mortal sins. A true Christian is not... This is Walther, a smart mouth who goes around holding his head high. A true Christian has a smashed heart. When one speaks the word of God to him, he accepts it immediately and humbles himself. And that humbling takes place through repentance. In Roman Catholicism, Here's what is said in their catechism, edited by Pius V and Clement XIII, the popes. All mortal sins must be told to the priest. For venial sins, which do not separate us from divine grace and to which we can fall rather often, though we may properly and usefully confess them, may also be withheld from the priests without penalty and may be atoned for in many different ways. Mortal sins, however, must be listed individually, for it is their nature to cause a more serious wound on the soul than those sins that people are in the habit of committing freely and publicly. My, This is anti-Christian doctrine, Walther says, because it says that one does not need absolution for the lesser venial sins. The Romanists and others count sinful desires that they do not really actually as sins that need the absolution. So according to to the teaching, a person does not need to ask forgiveness for an occasional fall into sin. This teaching says that sin must first become a habit. It must become a vice before it excludes a person from the kingdom of God. But look at what we say in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. We don't just say, forgive us our mortal debts and not our venial ones. No, we confess that all debts need to be forgiven in Christ Jesus. Well, uh, Luther in 1518, that he was a real theologian and here's what he wrote. I have never understood what a venial sin is nor how great it is. And, and those theologians that talk about venial sins, I do not know whether they understand these things themselves. I want to state it briefly. Any person who is not in constant fear of being full of mortal sins and does not act accordingly, that means through repentance, has little hope of being saved. So not only venial sins, as they are called by a lot of people these days, but even good works cannot bear the careful examination of God's judgment. Now, the Pharisees did works that were good, helping out widows, uh, feeding Jews who were hungry, etc., but they did it out of self-interest. God was able to read their hearts. Therefore, you must remember, Walter says, that all of us believers sin so much every day that God would have to call, cast all of us into hell if we did not believe in Jesus Christ. So, we don't want God dealing with us according to his justice, because we would belong in hell, not In a comfortable bed. It is certainly pitiful for believers to have an unconcerned conscience about immorality while the Word of God pronounces condemnation upon them. He has a wonderful proverb which was written by a man named Johann Conrad Don Howard. Sin is as great as is the person who is offended by it. Well, what person is offended by sin? God is offended by sin, and therefore it is always great. Christian experience also proves, by its very nature, no sin is venial in the sense sense that it's a lesser sin and you don't need the absolution. No, what is necessary is repentance over every sin. If there were 10,000 laws in the Bible and you followed 9,999, Walter says, you still would be in trouble for that one sin that you keep to yourself apart from repentance. Small sins become great when they are regarded as small. What a great statement by C.F.W. Walther. Small sins become great when people regard them as small because they don't repent of them. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel and Walther's 19th thesis tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz. We're kind of going to complete this conversation because of the teaching of purgatory. You think it occurred only in the 16th century? We're going to read things from today. Till then, God bless you. Listen
1: to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit Law and Gospel101.com or call toll-free 267 1962